This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. All right, let me ask you a question. I ask a lot of questions in 1 John because it's a book of questions, but what do you believe the most popular theme in music is? Yeah, love, that's right, that is right. Love songs are as old as time itself. See, indeed, the, the first recorded words of man in Scripture are a love poem, or really, honestly, even a love so- song from Adam when he beholds Eve. He says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He's just awestruck concerning her. The love song actually transcends genre. It's not confined to, to just country music or to um, you know, church music or something like that. You find it in country, you find it in metal even, you find it in rap, you find it in pop and bluegrass, and even for those of you all who grew up during this time in the now defunct genre of disco, right? Here you go, all you need is love, dun, 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 right? If loving you is wrong, what is it? I don't want to be right. Love, love will, you all know these, don't you, right? What about this one for you uh, 80s and 90s Night at the Roxbury kids? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. It's terrible. Don't send that one back, right? And my favorite, sang by my, my rich cousin, Faith Hill, I love the way that you love me. Ooh, I love, she's not my cousin. I'm just kidding. It would seem that all the love songs of modernity that we all know, and there's thousands, if not millions more, they're all singing about this emotion, aren't they? Gratification of self, of feeling, just really a heightened form of happiness, which is subject to change, if you think about it. My, my favorite to make fun of is the pop country songs. Pop country just makes me want to vomit. So terrible. Amen. Yes, thank you so much. And they all go something like this. I just made this up off the top of my head, and you would have no idea if I didn't tell you. It's like, girl... I love you in those cutoff jeans sitting in my truck with a big dip ring in your back pocket. I love the way you chug beer and know how to get a deer. I'm not I'm gonna embarrass my wife. You know, back in the when you put your your phone or kids used to have these things called iPods and before that CDs and cassettes, you put your phone onto the the thing, your your car radio, and it'll it used to back in the day it would just randomly shuffle to the first song in your library. You remember that, Kyle? The very first song, for some reason, that my wife had on her phone, and she didn't even like it. I think it was a friend put it on there, was Florida Georgia Line. I was like, baby, you're a song, maybe want to roll my windows down and crew. It's that, that junk, right? But, but it pervades every single genre, doesn't it? These love songs. And it's all about this heightened emotion that seems so easily subjective that it could change at the flip of a switch. See, love, the word love, 
in our culture is used so flippantly. Today of all days, on Resurrection Sunday, we should be overwhelmed with what true love is. And it's not any of these songs, even my made-up one. It's, it's more like Adam's song. It's a marveling. And we have the lyrics, beloved, to the most beautiful, perfect love song, defining what love truly is in Scripture today. Would you turn in your Bible to 1 John 4, 7 through 12. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loves us, loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is alive and active. Would it be the true implanted word that goes down into our lives, into our souls and saves us? Would you give salvation today? Would you give sanctification? And would we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? First being that of love. God, we thank you and we praise you for this glorious day in which we remember your son getting up out of the grave on our behalf to defeat separation from you that we may be with you and abide in you eternally. We pray this in his name, amen. All right, so as we come to uh, the text this morning, these five verses, five verses of 1 John 4, uh, these, are what some, these verses are what some theologians call like the summit or the pinnacle of 1 John. Think of it like this, 1 John, again, is our self-test, our examination to see whether we be in the faith. Again, bearing fruit, keeping with repentance. It's our self-test that gives the Christian, it should give the Christian, confidence and assurance and joy. It's a great roadmap. There is conviction and confidence within this test. All the themes of righteousness and loving God, and loving others, and hating sin, and sacrifice, and confidence, and fellowship, they've all been braided into this multi-threaded cord with these verses and next week's verses being the knot that ties them all together. Before we dive into the text this morning, we need to kind of frame up where we are for sake of any guests, and for the sake of this glorious Resurrection Sunday, the most glorious Sunday in all the year. Plus, framing up where we are will help 1 John 4, 7 through 12 not feel so fractured and just kind of out of place. That is one of the pitfalls of expository preaching is sometimes you forget where you've, where you've been so far, where you've come so far. And so we have to kind of come to it and refresh ourselves in context. This frame is going to help us see that John is not being random with his thoughts, but it's actually connected back all the way to chapter 3 with this crescendo of chapter 4. So back in 1 John 3, 19 through 24, if you have your Bibles open, you can look there. John began giving the Christian encouragement about confidence before God. Remember this, that while the child of God will never perfectly be righteous in this life, 
or perfectly love God or perfectly love others or perfectly do anything for that matter, when we are condemned in our hearts, we can have confidence, assurance, joy that even our sin, God knows our true intent of our hearts, even through all that sin. And he will spur us along to better and better worship him and better serve others as we grow in him. Our growing in grace is boiled down by John as he goes on after chapter 3 into, verse, into chapter 24 into what the belief of the person and work of Jesus, the word of God made manifest, our love engendered by the Son. It's this beautiful harmony together. God grows his children in grace by knowledge of who he is, and then he grows them in that outworking of that grace into their life. And to also see this, John has told us how God does this. He does this via a miraculous and over time perfecting of the child of God, of which they really will be truly, truly glorified when they stand before him, free of sin, perfect love, perfect obedience. John has also assured us that God will not break his promise, that God has given his children a down payment of their internal inheritance himself and the Holy Spirit who abides, who lives in, who fellowships in, who takes up residence in the Christian. 1 John 4, 1 through 6 goes like this. John cautions. John cautions us that every person who claims to be a Christian is not so. He warns us that there are demonic spirits that will pose as the Holy Spirit that will say good, right things, the detracted of love. He calls us to test these teachings by the Holy Spirit's guidance and examining what people profess by the scriptures, the writings of the apostles and the prophets, the Old and New Testament. If they are contradictory, then we have a spirit of antichrist, a person or a teaching that is against Christ, false, a worldly doctrine. There's our frame. It's where we're at. So with all of this in mind, we can begin to see what John is doing, honestly, at this larger literary level. If our progressive growing in grace is through knowledge, knowledge in the scriptures, and through living that out, living that knowledge out, then 1 John 4, 1 through 6 is John's unpacking of an example of that knowledge of Jesus as the Son of God. You see this? That's what we looked at last week. Oh, so you say you're a Christian. Great. Tell me what you know and believe concerning the Son of God contained in the Scriptures. It's an unpacking of our knowledge. The five verses before us this morning is John unpacking what that knowledge leads to and is based in. True, righteous, godly love. Love for one another and love for God. So, our question of self-examination this morning in big, bold text happens to be that terrible 90s song, and we're not going to do it again. What is love? What is love? See, John has mentioned love repeatedly in this letter. Love for God, love for neighbor, do not love the world, do not love sin, love and desire righteousness. Love has been a presupposition, something that's almost unconscious, something that's baked into the cake, but he has not mentioned love all of these times naively. Now, John has been building up to this point in the letter. John is pointing, 
is point blank forcing us to ask ourselves this question. And here's something that we need to really take to heart and think about. You ready? Say you love God, Christian. You say you love neighbor. You say you love righteousness and want to be more and more like your big brother King Jesus every day. You say that you do not love the world. John speaking, I've used this word a lot and you say you get it, but I want to make sure you do. Do you know what love is? Beloved, do you know what love is? Thus, by the Spirit of God, I pray that we may have the heart, confidence to unpack what true biblical Christian love is on this day that we celebrate the very love of God made manifest for us. What a perfect Easter sermon. I could not have planned this out. I didn't. I just picked 1 John at the beginning of the year, and here we are. Praise God for his miraculous love. Let's look at the text this morning. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Notice at 1 John's play on words. Beloved, love, right? The beloved of God, who are his children, they act like their father. The beloved, those whose love and affection is set upon by God, permeate that same type of love back out into their lives. Beloved, love. Beloved, love one another. Why? For this is the message from the beginning. John has said this multiple times throughout the letter, but he also said this back in in chapter 3, verse 11. But now we see that the message we have had from the beginning, from the start of our Christian walk, is a message that actually comes from before the beginning of our very lives, from before the very beginning of creation itself. Love, in our passage this morning, is mentioned three times. And so is the Father, and so is the Son, and the Holy Spirit is implied from our verses last week, given John ends that passage speaking of Christian love, proving God lives in the Christian, and God was said to abide in the Christian, in who? The Holy Spirit. Beloved, beloved, love is so foundational to the triune and a holy God of all creation that if we misconstrue and mess up what love is, we distort God. This isn't like a, oh, I think I checked the wrong box on my taxes. I might have to pay a little extra. If, if we mess up love, if we don't get love correct, we completely mess up the Lord in our minds. If we misunderstand love, we are in serious danger of creating and shaping this false idol who happens to bear the same name of Father, Son, and Spirit. Beloved, why love? Answer, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Here's another presupposition. We just read through this text. Oh, yeah, this is great. I love it. Love is from God. Love is not natural. Do you see this? Love is not natural. Love is not from man. Love is not something we do with our bodies. Love is not chemical reaction in the brain. 
Love is not immense emotion for something pleasurable. Love is from God. Whoa. It's not natural. It's not from this world. It's supernatural. That that should have us pump the brakes for just a moment and realize that love that comes from God is not subjective, but objective. There are not all these many definitions and all these various things that love can be set upon. It's one thing. It's supernatural. Right here at the outset, John is having us realize that singular objective source and definition of true love and that it is not for man. All the more reason to get it right, right? John says, whoever loves has been born of God. Interestingly, we, we've heard that phrase in 1 John already, haven't we? Uh, okay, let me, let me see if I can pull that sermon back up and we'll get back to this one in a minute. 1 John 2.29 If you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, what? Has been born of him. God rebirthing a sinner unto a new creation is tied to righteousness or desiring to live and be holy as God is holy, adhering to what he says is right and good, abstaining from what he says is sinful and wicked, for he is king, the creator, and he rules justly and rightly. Love. Beloved and righteousness are two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin. Righteousness is reciprocated love lived out unto God and unto others based in his word and in his work. Righteousness is the love of God received by an individual and joyfully given back unto God and sacrificially given to others. It's this beautiful just this cycle back and forth, it can't be broken. See, love being from God and being an indicator a person has been born again, called from death unto life, because dead people don't love, dead people are dead. That indicates that we know God. We know, we are aware of, have within us a consciousness of His righteousness His holy law illuminated by the righteous and Holy Spirit, confirmed in the very scriptures that he, the Spirit, breathed out. Have this. If you're a good logician, you're already forming an equation. So if you love, you're a Christian. I see wicked people say or do things that look like love all the time. And you would be exactly right. You'd be exactly right. That is why John, in this verse, keeps giving us little breadcrumbs to lead us along like a skittish animal into safe pasture to understand what love is. See, if we are confronted with the love of God without clarification, it's not going to make sense. It's like, God is love. Okay. Sounds good. That's why he goes on. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, in typical John fashion, we get the negative world version of what we have just read. If you love, you're from God because God is uh, love is from God, and that means you know him. And then Murphy's Law, which John would have loved, the opposite and equal is true. If you do not love, you do not know God. Okay, move on. Hold on. There are three simple 
words that we gloss over so quickly without just sitting in them and honestly even weeping our eyes out. Three words that should stop us in our tracks and have our minds be melted before the Lord like a candle before the wax hardens back up. There are only four places in the New Testament where God is described in substance and nature, what we would call descriptions of ontology, being. Three of the four come from John. John 4, 24, God is spirit. 1 John 1, 5, we've read this, God is light. Hebrews 12, 29, quoting Deuteronomy, God is a consuming fire. And then right here, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Look, look, not only is God the source and origin of love, don't miss this. God is, is love. He's not like love. He's not made up of love. He's not part love. He is love. Love is not a part of his attributes if he's like 10% holy, 10% love, 10% wrath, 10% justice, and it all equals 100%. No, 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 that's, that's called partialism. That's a heresy. He is 100% love. All that he is is love. Love is not something that he just merely does like an activity he produces. God is emphatic is love, which means every single activity, every single decree, every single ordinance, every single idea that comes from him is love. As John Stott puts it, if he is a judge, he judges in love. And if he judges in love, the verdict rendered known as justice is also loving. God is love. See, love is not abstract. It's not just floating around out in the ether, right? Like a Wi-Fi signal. Oh, I caught it. There it is. It's not abstract. Love is personal. Love is shown and conveyed. God is personal. He's not far off. He is near. He is love. All of him, all of his actions, even the ones that we fallen humans think are unloving, are love. And it is right here that the progressive church, which is a synagogue of Satan, masking around, masquerading around in a, in a garment of rainbow-colored light, collapsed like a bunch of captive seals being fed rotten, poisonous fish, unable to realize that they are captives and a mockery. Allow me to give you two examples that I heard in this just the past year that are abominations but nevertheless, they are a twisting of this text of 1 John 4, 8. And these two examples twist 1 John 4, 8 because they don't want to read past 1 John 4, 8, which completely undoes these wicked abominations. Context always matters, and we see that in our passage today. If we just stop with God as love, we can come up with things like this. Wicked example number one, a demonic antichrist woke fake pastor in February of this year said this about love and about God wearing a rainbow sash. God is gay. God is lesbian. God is trans. God is gender non-binary. 
That's, I'm, I want to vomit already, but it gets worse. God is you and you are God. Love in our modern world in this very moment is tied to sexual pleasure. Love is affirming and accepting what God defines as wicked and sinful because love is no longer love. Love has been re- reduced to this mere physical pleasure. Love is purely an emotion meant to self-gratify, and that, and if that is the case, then what this wicked man says is actually true. If that's what love has been distilled down to and reduced to, that it's just this self-gratifying emotion, that if we get enough of it, almost like a cracked addict, like, oh, yeah, there it is, right. If, if that's what it is, then, then what he says is not wrong. If love is self-gratification through the senses, then you are love, and to be gratified is God. Wicked example number two. If you've been to Lexington at all lately, which all of us probably have, you might have seen this little blue yard sign, and it says this, love everybody. Have you seen, has anybody seen those, or is it just me? They're all over Lexington. Love everybody. Love, in this sentence, has been used as a synonym for accept and tolerate. Again, love has been reduced to an emotion of self-gratification on one hand. If it just feels good, that's love. You just do it and do a lot of it. And then on the other hand, it's also been distilled down to just passivity and acceptance. Yeah, whatever, man. You do you. I do me. Let's tie Barney to a tree. We just love, 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 right? At first, the little blue yard sign sounds correct. Love everybody. Well, yeah, the Christian is called to do that because the Christian knows what love actually is. But love is not tolerant. Church, hear me. Love is discriminatory. That is a, that, that is a, just a fire word right now, discrimination. It, love is discriminatory, not in a racist way. To, to love everything, church, listen to me. To love everything is to love nothing. For the one true thing that you care about is equitable with everything else. If you love everything, then you love nothing. You are just a man or a woman who has no lock, that has no front door, and lets anything and everyone come right in. See, if these wicked perversions are just that, perversions, then how are we to understand God is love? How are we to peel back the layers of society right now, which have taken God's good world and good word and good sentiment and good, good emotions that are from God and, and suppressed all this truth and unrighteousness? How, how are we to deal with just let people love who they want to love when we hear that from our wicked government? If you don't let minors who are being brainwashed and indoctrinated by demonic forces and the religion of transgenderism cut off or mutilate their body parts, you don't love them. They're going to kill themselves. Hear how extreme that is. If you don't let a child whose brain doesn't even stop developing until they're 25 cut stuff off of them, you don't love them, God's word is clear. In a moment of conviction, we know and we 
we who know the word of God, we use love in a lax manner as well. This is a moment of conviction. We use the word love in a lax manner. I love tacos. I love Corvettes. I love that place. I love that book. I love that song. I love when my boss is not at work. I love that dress. I love this. I love that. We slip into using the word love as a synonym, not for tolerate, but for enjoy. And there is a difference between enjoying something and loving something. The two are tied together, but love is not a mere enjoyment, an emotion, a gratification, a toleration, or an affirmation. That's what 1 John 4, 9 through 10 goes on to define. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Full stop, God is the only one who can declare anything about himself. Okay? Man is not able to do this no matter what the transgender religion will tell you, and it is a religion. God says he is love. He is love, but goes on to display what that is. He doesn't just give us gray area of like, I'm love. Uh, okay, we'll fill in the blanks like Mad Libs, and we come out with something absolutely hilarious at the end. He goes on to tell us what that means. Firstly, God reveals, he reveals, he displays his love in sending his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world that we may live through him. God taking on flesh to live among us. John says, right here is a display of that love of who he is. Why? Remember back in Eden before the fall, God and man dwelt together unhindered by sin in joyful relationship and fellowship. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, came as a man to man, humbling himself to the point of a created body to be with and redeem his sinful creation. Right? God displayed his love that in, by in the mere fact that he would pursue sinful man and even desire to want to be in his presence and have his people live through his son. The eternal son, the second member of the Trinity, sacrificed his glorious position to gloriously pursue that which had rebelled against him. Listen to how Paul explains it in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, right? So we do have emotion, and we do have knowledge, and we do have these things. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then Paul explains what love looks like. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, all right? This is it, which is yours in Christ Jesus, the one that we live through in 1 John, the, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sacrificed, put aside any sort of self-gratification or any passivity to pursue a creation that rebelled against him, setting aside his own interests, which he rightly can do, he's God, to pursue them, which was for their benefit and for the glory of his Father. That's love. Love is not some willy-nilly, oh, all right, emotion with butterflies all over it. It's not Care Bear with a big heart on his belly. No, love is sacrificial with the desire to see that which you are denying yourself be built up and exalted. And Paul goes on to say in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him the name above every name. Jesus didn't go seeking the name that is above every single name. We don't go seeking self-gratification. We go to sacrifice and to pour out all that we are into that which we care about, desiring it to to see it holy and righteous. That's what we do. We, well, we have a paradox in love. We pour ourselves out to see that which we care about built up. The more we pour ourselves out, the more we sacrifice, the more we get away from our own self-gratification, the more that we get filled back up in every way. In this, love is displayed. Those dead in sin, those who have eaten of the forbidden fruit and have died of the lie of the serpent, They live through Christ. And then John goes on to say this. This is love. In this is love. Here's a display, and here's a further explanation of what that means. Not like love. It's not a kind of love. God is love, verse 8. Then this is love, verse 10. Not that we loved God but that he loved us. God did not send his son into the world because we love God. That, that, that's what your modern Hillsong worship songs want you to think. You, you know it, you've heard it. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. Oh goodness, God's so lonely and he just sees people that would probably love him that look like they'd be swell. I just want you up here. No, that is wicked. God is fully at home, at fellowship with itself. There is no need for that. All of us in our natural state, apart from being reborn of the Spirit, we are enemies of God. Man naturally hates God. That is our natural state. But do you know what love is? Love, sacrificed, coming to an enemy. For I tell you, Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus wasn't just giving really good, like proverbial advice, like countercultural thought. He was expressing what he was doing as God in the flesh, holy love. He was expressing what he was doing. He loved those who did not love him. He did not demand that they love him. He did not demand gratification for himself. He came to them. He loved them first and then caused those enemies to become friends, reconciled, and to reflect his love. He took those that were storming his own gates and turned them into enemies, or turned those enemies into friends and brought them inside the gates of his kingdom and gave them a meal. That's Isaiah 25, right? How do we know this? That's what we celebrate today. 
How did he love? How did God love? How did Christ love being loved? Was it through helping his followers find their true identity in themselves? Is that what Jesus did? Is that what love is? Is that what he's telling us to do? Disney theology, just look inside yourself, follow your heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Can't listen to a Disney song ever again the same. Did he help his people become awakened to their senses, their bodily organs, and a new sexual ethic? No, that's wicked and preposterous. Did he come like a hippie? Just like walking through, hey man, love everybody. You like it, do it. Sounds good. No, far from it. God sent his son, love sent love in love to be the propitiation, the atonement, the payment, the vehicle of restoration and reconciliation for our sin, our rebellion, our lawlessness. Love did not boast of itself. Love did not draw attention to itself. Love did not tolerate everything and everyone that everything and everyone wanted to do because God just thinks we're all so special and wants to be with us no matter what. That's wrong. Love is sacrifice to the point of death that those who deserve that death may live and no longer be in that sin which causes death. God is love, is Jesus upon the cross as the simultaneous example of love, which is self-sacrificing, not self-gratifying, and the essence of love, dying in the place of those enemies, that they may live and replicate that same type of love. That's love. It's not what the world says. It's not the the, the yard sign, and it's not the wicked, stupid man with the rainbow sash. If God, revealing who he is, as completely loving as love is seen and found upon the cross in the death of his perfect son for sin, then love, beloved, is not tolerant. Jesus did not lay his life down of his own accord just to be an example. He died for sin. Love hates things that will destroy the object of that self-sacrificing away from self-love. It hates those things. Guys, husbands, if a big, nasty, burly burglar broke into your house at night, would you just let him hurt your wife? Would you tolerate, but he's poor, he might need something to eat. He needs that TV to sell the pawn shop. I'll understand. No! You hate that which would hurt that which you love. No, it is discriminatory. Dear listener, if God is love, is seen upon the cross, that means that God also hates sin. And and sin is any disregard or lack of conformity unto the law of God and his word given he is the creator. We are the creature. As John previously said, sin is lawlessness. Peter, that same Peter that we talked about this morning in our call to confession or our call to worship, quotes Proverbs 10 in, in 1 Peter 4 8, and he says, This love covers a multitude of sins. Notice that love does not tolerate a multitude of sins. Love does not disregard a multitude of sins. Like, yeah, whatever. Love covers as if the object were naked and ashamed, a multitude of sin. Love clothes the sin that it may not be seen. Love 
takes the lawless and makes it lawful, meaning the lawless is clothed to obey. Church, beloved, hear my words. God hates your sin. He hates your sin because he, hating with a perfect and sinless hate, desires to love you first, bring you back to himself, and have you truly live in his image to the point that he would die for your sins in love. That is what we celebrate today. That is what he does. God's law, his rule, his design is upon nature and is upon the heart of man who suppresses that truth in unrighteousness, in unlovingness, perverting love from self-sacrifice to self-gratification. I'm going to just say some really nasty, like slay the dragon stuff. You ready? Homosexuality is not love. God hates it. Transgenderism is not love. God hates it. Premarital sex is not love. God hates it. Oh, yeah, but we're a Christian couple. Okay, he hates what you're doing. Adultery is not love. God hates it. Pornography is not love. God hates it. We always just want to make love about that, like the, the, the sexual. But even the church has bought into that, li that lie about love. All right, here you go. Ready? Men, guys, fellas. You are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. But that does not mean you just think she's hot and you can't wait to make her feel good about yourself. No. You sacrifice and you give all that you are to her while leading her to the scriptures to be holy as God is holy, sacrificing everything you are to make sure that she's able to do that. And she is to love you the same way, dying to herself, receiving all that you are in submission as you submit to the Lord. You pour yourselves out to one another and yet you're filled back up. And just so we're clear, the pursuit of money is not love. God hates it. You cannot serve two masters, love and God, or money and God. You will love one and hate the other. The enjoyment you have of something upon this earth is not love. Pleasure is not love. The ice cream, the pizza, the beautiful sunrise, the dog, the car, the song, enjoy these things. They are good gifts from God, as Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes. And you can enjoy these things in love because you have been redeemed by the blood of love and you can like them a lot and genuinely feel the love of God in those things and love those things only insofar that you praise God for them, right? You can. But the old, yeah, I love Mexican food. Listen, I get it, right? I don't want to be a grammar Nazi. I know that there are four words in Greek that refer to love. God's love, brotherly love, erotic love. I get that, but we in English just don't care, and we use it flippantly all the time because we're lazy. I want to give you a challenge. What if we intentionally started using our words and thinking about what we say, and that we intentionally use a different, different word for something that we deeply enjoy instead of love, right? Because now when we think about what's in the text, the pollo bandito is on the same level as Christ upon the cross. And last time I checked, the chicken and the beans and the cheese and the rice didn't die for your sins. You are not love. God is. And he died as payment for your sin to cover it all, that you may dwell with him and he with you. God hates sin because he loves 
righteousness, for he is righteous, and within himself the Father, Son, and Spirit sacrificially love one another, drawing no attention to themselves, even though each member of the Blessed Trinity has the right to do so. The Son glorifies the Father. Spirit glorifies the Son. Love is not flippant. Love does not tolerate actions that would destroy it. Sin destroys the self-sacrificing sacrificing relationship God bestows upon his people. And that is what John goes on to explain in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We die to ourselves. We seek not our own gratification. We seek to sacrificially help others and declare unto them the love of God. Death to sin and for sin that there may be fellowship. If we tolerate sin, if we as God people condone what he says is contrary to who he is as love, then we do not love, we hate. The most unloving thing we could ever do is is tolerate and accept someone's sin. We are to lovingly call them to be covered in the blood of Jesus who died that they may live, not who died as a mere example of being nice to people or who ended up getting killed because he just wanted everybody to be nice. Not what the cross is. We are called to reflect love God, who is love by loving him, sacrificing the desires of our flesh that we may be in fellowship with him, just as he sacrificed himself to be in fellowship with us. And this leads us to loving others in the same way that we have been loved. We cannot keep such a supernatural love, a supernatural thing inside of us. Love detached from God, who is love, is not love. The, The semblance of love alone in someone's life is not a sign that he or she is a child of God. Love directed away from the self unto God first and to our fellow man, second for God's glory and the benefit of others to be reconciled and sanctified. That's the love of the Christian. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John 4, 24. God is spirit. He dwells in an unapproachable light. No one has seen God. But what about Moses? What about Jesus? Isn't he the image of the invisible God? Yes, you are correct, Bible theologian. But what John means here is no one has ever seen God, the Father, Son, or Spirit fully as they are without the veil on. The pure holiness of God would kill sinful man. And John knows this. For in Matthew 17, John himself, who writes this letter and his brother and Peter, followed Jesus up a mountain where he transfigured before them, where Jesus peeled back just a little layer of the veil to display his glory. And it was so bright because God is light, you know, that the disciples fell on the ground as dead and had to hide their faces. John is saying in verse 12, we can see God fully as we cannot see God fully as he is yet, but we will. We've been told that for when we stand before him in glory, either in our death or in his second coming, we will see him as he is, love. We will see love because we will be like him as sinless image bearers reflecting that love. And until that blessed day, loving one another in the self-sacrificing way that we have seen upon the cross, hating sin, pouring into others, all in thanks to God, is proof that God abides in us, lives in us, is in fellowship with us, is within us. And that love Perfected, perfected in us. 
That word perfected does not mean God's love is lacking, like we're filling it up. The word there is where we get the word telos, which means intended purpose, the end game. When we love, even in our imperfect state, we can have confidence when our heart condemns us to know this, that God's love is reaching its end game, its intended design for us, sanctifying us, glorifying him, and benefiting others. Remember, God is in us, and he is in us through the Holy Spirit. If that is true, then it will be made known in the life of his children. And isn't it interesting, isn't it wonderful to know that man fell into sin at a tree bearing fruit and was redeemed at a tree bearing fruit? And isn't it, wonderful, isn't it wonderful to know that we are called to be trees? Have you ever thought about that? We are called to be trees. We don't get to pick the fruits. No, the implanted seed of faith that comes from the implanted word transforms our lives into a tree of life. And isn't it wonderful to know that the kind of fruit you bear upon your branches comes from the Lord and we don't have to guess and we don't get to pick our own thing? Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All that self-gratifying stuff. Did you hear that, beloved? The fruit of the Spirit, singular, not fruits. And what's the first descriptor of that fruit? Love! Love! The, the premier chapter on love in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. It's always read at weddings and usually towards like the sentimentality that we've been talking about. But if we understand love, God being love, listen to how it transforms this chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. God. It does not insist on its own way. Self-sacrifice, you do, no, I'm going to show. You worship me. I'm a jealous God. It is not irritable or resentful. He, he's the, the Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and patience. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God doesn't mean he believes all things, like even lies are true. It means that he is steadfast, that he will not give up on his people. Love never ends. Beloved, on this most glorious day, on Resurrection Sunday, look into the empty tomb and remember that it was not empty perpetually. There is no bones in the tomb in Jerusalem. For three days and nights, the body of the Son of God, which was slain for you, beloved, as the payment for your sin, lie in it. His body was there 
for the reason that one commentator states right here. This is what God has done for rebellious mankind. He pardons their sin against himself at his own cost. To remove this element from the biblical teaching on the nature of God's love is to water down the concept of love beyond measure. It is true that some writers have denied that a loving God needs to be propitiated for human sin and have suggested that it makes him less than loving. They have not realized that the depth of God's love is to be seen precisely in the way in which it bears the wounds inflicted on it by mankind and offers full, free pardon. Christ perfectly loved God and perfectly loved his people, tolerating no sin and sacrificing himself that God and man may be reunited in him, pouring himself out to the point of death, seeking his, not his own glory, but our sanctification. The cross, God is love. What is love? God is love and love sacrifices and defends that which it sacrifices for, hating that that which would hurt it. Church, beloved, may you bear your cross and die to your sin. May you live in Christ who has bought you and clothed you. May you repent day in and day out and be resurrected out of the tomb of death, running into the bright light of life, for God is light, being led by the Spirit, for God is Spirit, to love as He loved, for God is love. I'll leave you with this, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace that bought you when you did not deserve it and sacrificed himself for you to bring you into fellowship. Yes, that God, God be with you. Grace, peace, love be multiplied to you today, beloved, on this glorious Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. 